have a routine these days when you're not looking after the grandchildren? Uh, yeah, I do have a routine, but it's not as exciting as yours by any means. <laughs> It'd be things like, you know, make a cup of tea, uh, <laughs> do a bit of writing, make my breakfast, I, I have porridge and toast, and, and then sort of clean up a bit, coffee. It, it very much my routine centres around mealtimes, really. Mm-hmm. And, and you're a professional writer, is that correct? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a professional writer. <laughs> Jonathan, I'd say I'm a writer. I think to say you're professional, you'd have to be earning your main part of your living out of Yeah, I, I like to say I'm a songwriter, but for money, I do other things. I think that's, <laughs> that's what I'd like to be known <laughs> for. Do you uh, grow your own things? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if you're referring to the weed, no, I don't. I no longer use it. But for, uh, for, for food and vegetables, yeah, vegetables are... I do grow quite a lot of veg, but, uh, you know, to grow your own, goodness me, that's a, a big ask, totally. Oh, uh, I, I didn't. I'm, I'm very much non-Mary Jane. Mary Jane is no friend of mine. Oh, OK. I can imagine that the, the crowds that you would have hung out with or, or maybe do hang out with, because I should preface this by saying that you're a self-described hippie. That's right, yeah. That's right. Jonathan, in, in the early days, that would be the late 60s, very early 70s. That was the peak of my of the, of the hippie era. And yes, indeed, there's no I don't there's no point in beating about the bush. Drugs are a huge part of that uh, of that time. But uh, I actually gave up using drugs in about 1972. And I've only since then, I've only occasionally partake and you, you know usually at things like parties or um gigs you know where i go to see a band or something and i just think i you just get that kind of desire to relive the old days but no not a, a very insignificant part of my life it's only got wow 50 years without and society has moved on and cannabis was classified and declassified um what was your reaction when it was made a class oh god did it go from c to b or b to c firstly yeah well they made i think they made it worse they made it like it was, well my my whole view of the whole drug thing is they should just stop being silly and let people do what they like um uh, and that would take out the criminal element from the whole scene um what what actually is happening is they've turned it into a gold mine for criminals um but uh, and, and it hasn't, and it doesn't stop people taking it if they want to. So that's that's how I view it, um, I, and I've always viewed it like that, really. When I was using um, dope a lot, I, among other things, uh, when I was young, I just thought, well, it's, why shouldn't I? But there you go. Was there a scent of marijuana in the air when the was it the Bridges to Babylon tour rolled into Wembley in 1990? <laughs> I did. I went to I went to a couple of Stones um, concerts in in my sort of midlife, I suppose. Uh, I no, for me, no, no, and I haven't really done any festivals or anything like that. The only where have I been? Where I mean, I, I we live quite near Totnes. So I don't know if you've heard of Totnes. I've heard I, of Totnes. Uh, no, I've, I haven't really been to the southwest. It's an interesting place, Totnes. It's a bit like Glastonbury or you know these other kind of trendy towns that are very much into alternative lifestyle. And um, I run my business there. I've got a market stall there and um, that I do every Friday, not in lockdown, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, quite often there, you you know, there's a very pleasant smell of, um, you know, grass or dope being smoked. I, I, I like the smell, but um, no, I wouldn't. I prefer to be my normal consciousness these days. Well, yes. And I wonder if the fact that you didn't in, inhale is because you were with your child or children at the time in 1990. Because uh... you took them to the gig. I did indeed. You've read. You've read something about me here. I can I'm tell. afraid I've had to research because, as you may know, uh, one of your sons does a lot of interviews to promote his work. Yes, indeed, he does. Absolutely. Well, in fact, I think the last time I, well, probably shouldn't say that. But the last couple of times I've smoked dope, actually, coincidentally, both at family weddings. You know, where you stay up late on the night of the wedding, and and you just, um, you know. There's a few people hanging around and you just think, oh, you, you've had a bit to drink and you just think, oh, I just need to top that up and just blow my brains out. But anyway, there you are. I'm uh, just I'm trying to... Sorry, I'm now, I'm now distracting myself with what kind of entertainment was there at the comedian Josh Widdicombe's wedding? Who was the best man? Uh, was it someone from home? I, it, was, it was my other son, Henry. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah. Henry, who founded the McElhenneth Comedy Festival, which is of very good repute. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. And pretty much everyone has been uh, at McElhenneth and it's lovely to see Josh uh, and has been a well-known name since about 2012. Have you noticed a change in the way people react to your son because he's had the sitcom and he's had the last leg and he's had various panel shows and he's had some very successful tours and now some very successful podcasts? So as yeah. his dad, do you notice that there's a change in how people perceive him? It's probably not something anyone would talk about to me. Most people are careful, you know, like if they don't like Josh's uh, stuff, they usually keep their mouth shut uh, when I'm around. Uh, so I wouldn't know really what most people think. A lot of people tell me they enjoy his stuff. Uh, I mean, over the years, it has become more and more obvious that you know, I mean, he has got more and more famous progressively. And is, and, and so, I mean, I, I keep my identity fairly quiet. So a lot of people don't even know uh, that I'm his dad. I've got other kids too, and I don't like, the, uh, I don't want people to think that, you know, any of my kids are any more special than any others because they're not. No, correct uh, answer. Well, I never I never really use Josh to big myself up. It's, it's just would be totally crap thing to do well if anything josh uses you because um i i had a look to see your but we're we're notionally not here to talk cannabis we're here to talk about barnet away which is available for five pounds if you look in the right places Um, but i'm i'm more interested at five pounds will be coming to me i hope so yes (laughs) no it won't but but by anyway it's i think it's a good book and um I will, but you, in the pre-screen call, you told me that one of your books has had to be reprinted because it's backed by popular demand. Uh, this is a book that's almost 25 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, actually, at that time, there wasn't the option to do print on demand, which is a, a huge step forward for, you know, amateur writers, because you don't have to buy, like, a thousand copies of your own book. Yes. And which is what I had to do with my first book. So I ended up with a thousand copies. Of course, I was very, very confident I would sell them, but it's a lot of books, you know, a thousand. And I, did, I didn't manage to sell them. I sold 650 
I got, I've still got about 300 bucks in the shed, but they are selling and um, they, they trickle out, you know, it's, so it's quite, and, and people compliment me on the book when they read it. It's, so it, I think it's probably my best book, to be honest. The book is I Blame the Beatles for what? It was, <laughs> it was a, it was a kind of a saying in the, uh, after the, well, during the Beatles and after the Beatles, the Beatles took a lot of the blame for what happened to the, for, for the hippie generation, really. And the fact that the, the kid, in the eyes of the establishment, the kids were coming off the rails. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what that I blame the Beatles means. It's, it's the establishment saying, well, you know, the responsibility for this chaotic behavior of the youth today is down to the Beatles. Obviously. Um, I wonder, I wonder whom the government would blame today for the ills of the nation. Well, I can tell, uh, we don't want to get into politics, uh, Jonathan. No, no, well, then nor do I, because this is the football library. We welcome Republicans and Democrats, although Roy Keane is standing at the door, ready to be a kind of filtration process. And if you get past him, then you get to Johnny the Nick, John Nicholson, who was as also like you is a he's a lapsed hippie. But he lives up in uh, a croft in Scotland and his chat, which was one of the first ones that I published, uh, I said to him, if you write so many books, and he really, writing books is his new addiction. I said, well, why don't you come and be like the front desk, helpman? Uh, unaware that he would um, be telling people to cancel their Sky subscription and go and follow their local team. I think he would be impressed with your book, Barnet Away, which is all about Plymouth Argyle. And um, I wanted to know what your memories are of... Plymouth beating Darlington in the 1996 playoff final. Yeah, OK. Well, it was a really poor game. I'll tell you that straight off. I mean, it was exciting to go to Wembley, and I, I, I was with my wife and my two of my kids, uh, Josh and Henry, and um, we went up to Wembley. Of course, it was hugely exciting, and uh, but it was a, a really drab game, and nothing happened much at all, and that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Ronnie Moget scored and, and we won. And uh, I'm a bit different to the normal football fan, I think, really, Jonathan, in that for me, I mean, obviously I'd like to win, but more important than anything for me is that, that we play good football. And uh, at that time in our history, we really weren't anything special to watch. So uh, my enthusiasm levels weren't that high anyway. Uh, for, for you know, for Plymouth Argyle, really, at that time, I'm more, I'm more about watching good football than I am about the tribal thing of you know winning and losing. Well, we're still here to celebrate the 25th anniversary of it, which is coming up. Plymouth finished fourth in the old, old fourth division, the old third division, and what is now League Two for the youngsters. Preston <clears throat> went up automatically. Berry, Neville, Neville's Berry were in third, and having beaten Colchester, Plymouth beat Darlington. What is Plymouth's manager on that day doing now? Oh, blimey, what's this, a quiz? Uh, (laughs) If you rearrange the letters of his name, you get a horrible second name, a famous horrible second name, and the first name Colin. So when I went to watch Watford against Leeds in 2012, I too was able to jokingly boo Neil Warnock. By calling him uh, Colin. Yeah, Neil, 
Neil Warnock. What's he doing now? He's he's managing a team in the championship, isn't he? Middlesbrough, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how he's getting on. I don't follow him really, but uh, they're f- well. He's fine. Do you do you not live? Oh no, he's in Cornwall, isn't he? He lives in Cornwall. Yeah, that's right. But I, I presumably when he's doing his football management, he he just visits Cornwall occasionally. I think he's got a wife and kids down here, and certainly got a house down in mm-hmm. Cornwall. Yeah, although every time he's beckoned out of one last job, he's like an addict. Uh, but he's a uh, Middlesbrough had a goal, a very good goal disallowed the other week, and he said, "Look, I, I'm not going to say anything because they're going to find me." But he's, I, but I'm going to say it anyway, and they're going to find me. But he yeah. was the manager. Can you name the starting eleven in the three-five-two formation who played in this horrible, dull game? No, not a chance. Not a chance. My memories of Plymouth Argyle players are very. Uh, I focus in on what the kind of players I like, and um, and in those days there wasn't a lot going on in the team that really inspired me. Um, I, I went more because I was the dad of two Plymouth Argyle supporters. Oh. And um, I, I remember Ronnie Moje scoring the goal, but really, no, can't help you with the, the names. Well, Moje was a Trinidadian, I've just learned. Yeah, that's old. right. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's, he's a character. I, I heard him on the radio the other day. Uh, he's involved in some good stuff, and um, he's got a lot of good energy. I used to enjoy watching that team, uh, you know, a bit, but they weren't, you know, old-style Argyle during the 90s. It, it wasn't my bag, really, but there you go. <laughs> the lower leagues, um, but the... Just kick it up the park, and, uh, and you know, it was, it was more like a game, well, not like a game of rugby, but it was the same kind of thing. You know, the nearer we get the ball to the goal, the more chance there is of it going in, yeah. which I... I don't dispute that, but it's it wasn't great to watch. It was just like kick it down the channels, kick it into the centre, kick it in front of the goal, and hopefully it'll go in. It's not my not not really my scene. But it gets results, and there are a lot of Watford fans who were forty, forty five, who had to watch some quite. It's what Barnsley fans call vertical football when you're right. bringing it up the pitch. But who was the guy? Was it Little John nodding it down to Evans, or Evans nodding it down to Little John? You are asking some obscure questions. I've got both of those players on my list of players that I quite liked or or, or noticed, but I wouldn't know the technicalities of that. Uh, sorry, John. No time. problem at all. Well, let's go to your beloved players who, when in the history of Plymouth Argyle, which I know very little about. In fact, all I know is they're Josh Widdicombe's club, Tom Widdicombe's club, and Pete the Pilgrim's club. So fill me in on some of the Hall of Famers at Plymouth in your lifetime. I mean, I haven't got a comprehensive team. I've just got some of my favourite players, OK? Go ahead. Uh, and some, some well-known players that have played for Plymouth. So I'm gonna, the most famous players that have played for Plymouth are actually both goalies, I reckon. Peter Shilton and Bruce Gobelard both played for Plymouth in the 90s. But then neither of them are my choice for best goalie. I'm going to go with the very first goalie that I saw when we first went to watch Argyle, a guy called Reese Wilmot, who he, he was just a good, solid guy. And um, I've I've met him recently, and he, he's he is a good, solid guy. He's now the goalkeeping coach, and uh, he's brought along our present keeper, who's a young guy called Mike Cooper. He's really good. So. Um, 
Uh, yeah, Reese Wilmot's the, the goalie for me. In the, in the uh, notable defenders over the years, uh, there's a guy called Mick Heathcote, who was a really solid, good guy, right in the middle of the defence. I liked him a lot. I've just found yeah. out he was the captain of that playoff winning side. Yeah, he was really a, a good bloke. I mean, I think I'm picking out the guys that I just feel like they're solid, they're genuine characters that are, you know, got the team at heart and, you know, you dependable. And then, then of course, the, the other guy that was really uh, Mr. Plymouth Argyle, really, Paul Watton, he, he's been there for years and years and years. I think he's probably had played more games for Argyle than anyone else, I think. It's, well, that is, that is not true. Because, incredibly, Sammy Black, who played in the pre-World War II era, and Paul oh. Watton both had 491 appearances. Right. It was Kevin Hodges. Oh, Kevin Hodges, yes, I've got him down as With well. With over yeah. 600 appearances, so that is a good pro. Yeah, now that his era came to an end just as we started to go to watch Argyle, but yeah, I've got him down mm-hmm. too. Um, there was a guy called Nicky Marker, I don't remember him. He was at Argyle for five years, and, um, and in the end, he wasn't like mind-blowing or anything, but he was clearly a good player, and then he ended up playing, uh, going to Blackburn when they went uh, in the season before they won the Premiership, I think. But he never got a single game in the year that Blackburn won the Premiership. But I, I wouldn't put him in my team anyway, but I'm, I'm sure he should be probably. But um, I never really hardly noticed him until he went to Blackburn. And then he was suddenly a Premier League player. But anyway, um, yeah, then uh, we go on to uh, a couple of midfielders that I really like. There's a couple here with nice story. There was Steve McCall, who was a, a another kind of solid guy at the back. Well, in the middle, you know, he would be kind of a midfield general guy, and he was just a really intelligent player, calm, collected, keep things going. There was a guy called Carl Fletcher. I don't know if you've come across him. When, so, he, yeah, Carl Fletcher I know of. Yeah, he, he was great, a uh, great player, and uh, I, he was a, a Welsh international, and... Um, uh, he went on, he he had a very brief spell at management at Argyle when he retired and came badly, uns- well, he got sacked, basically. And he famously broke down on telly because he was so disappointed with what had happened. He, he got a bit of a career going afterwards, but I don't know what's happened to him now. But he was a lovely guy and he was a really intelligent footballer. And I just, I, I think management's very cruel, isn't it? You know, you've only got to get a bad run of results and you're out. And it, it, it's a shame, really, because I think he had a lot of potential. It's, um, more of, it's capitalist. Football is capitalist when it was once socialist. And I'm more attracted to, not socialism, but maybe communitarianism. Kind of all banding together for the common cause. And of course, you need a good accountant. You need money. I spoke to Eric Samuelson, who was the financial officer at Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon. Yeah. And yet he speaks as a fan and as someone who was swept up in the narrative. But at the very, very top level, it's obscene, completely obscene. Yeah. Now, um, I I mean, there's an interesting thing, isn't there, that I I saw about the the four or five top managers in the UK are all socialists. And it, it, does that have any meaning? It um, does. I'd love someone to write that book all about Ferguson, Clough, Busby, Shankly, Steen. Yeah. Are they the six? Are they the five? And Cloppy, and, and Cloppy now as well. You know, that um, it's the idea that, well, it's a team game, isn't it? And the idea of having footballers 
uh, all out for themselves, you know, to at the expense of nobody else, you know, don't care about anything, just pursue your own dreams kind of thing. Uh, it, that wouldn't work on the football field. Uh, anyway, yes, so that's an interesting little diversion. Guardiola, uh, by the, sorry, Guardiola, by the way, very much a socialist. And who's the star in his team? The star is the system. Yes, Jeez. yes, absolutely. Sorry, back to back to the the green shirts of uh, yeah. Recently, we've had some good uh, good players, uh, playmaker players that I would call a lot of time end up on the wing, but basically they're uh, sort of behind strikers making things happen. And uh, um, we had a guy called Graham Carey playing for us, and he really was exciting to watch. Um, this was in sort of two thousand fifteen era. Up until up until the end of Derek Adams' time as manager, and he, we also had another guy called Ruben Ramirez who was very similar. So it was very exciting watching these guys. They could make things happen and they could take people on and beat them. Those are the kind of players that I think every team needs. Similarly, now we've got a guy called Danny Mayer who f- fills that role. Uh, you know, when he gets the ball, you just think, right, something might happen now. <laughs> it, it doesn't. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sometimes it does, you know. He really does, you know, change the feel of the game. Instead of the ball just getting passed around or whatever, suddenly you've got this bloke that's got the ball and he might just... You don't know what's going to happen next. Could Very he play for a championship club? Could he play for a Coventry or a Rotherham? Uh, interestingly, he played for Bury. Oh. Um, uh, our current manager, a guy called Ryan Lowe, um, was the Bury manager and he took them up into League One, but they went... Um, out of business? Yes, because the players weren't paid. And I think Lowe took five or six. Ryan Lowe then brought down some of those players Mm -hmm. to the aisle, including Danny Mayer. And, you know, really good, really good, exciting player. Yeah, and then of the strikers, well, a long time ago, Plymouth had a striker called Tommy Tynan. I never saw him play before we started to go. But he was like a big number nine. And for a long time, I think Plymouth, Argyle, tried to, you know, kind of replace Tommy Tynan with his big number nine kind of style of football. Um, they had a guy called Mickey Evans, who was really good, actually. And he was at Argyle ages. He, he actually went to Southampton for mm-hmm. a huge, I don't know if it was our biggest ever transfer, 650000 he went for. He was probably the best of the number nine type centre-forwards. But that's kind of died out now, um, that kind of way of playing football. Um, even in but, the lower leagues, even in League Two? Yeah, well, you don't see it so often, do you? I mean, certainly in League One, which is it's much more of a team's now trying to play football. Well, and, yes, you're, we're talking the day before you play uh, a team that used to be Wimbledon. Uh, I won't say the name, but I just read a great piece in The Times that said Russell Martin, the manager of this team... Yeah, uh, based in a, a major city in the middle of England. Uh, Russell Martin said, what is plan B? If plan B is bung it up top, no, we're not doing that. We're going to pass the ball. Apparently the goalkeeper sometimes plays it right back when they're starting various yeah. moves. So that's tomorrow. Um, I think it's great the way it's gone because, uh, you know, it's, it's so much better for the spectator to watch these teams actually playing football. And, and they're kind of, they're trying to copy the good teams that they see you know, like Man City and... Well, everybody's trying to copy Man City, really, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It, even in the Premiership, the, the teams that are doing well in the... Well, in fact, not even, not only the teams that are doing well, you watch teams like Fulham and Brighton, they're all trying to play football, and it's it's great. 
because I guess they've realised that, you know, just kicking it up the park to a big number nine, it doesn't get you there, um, which is a huge relief for me because uh, uh, I love enough of that. Mm, although it is interesting, again, to note that in the last 11 games, as we speak, certainly this, in 2021, Barnsley have had so much success through right. that method, but that's because they've tried with the old method and it wasn't working. Right. So watch out for Barnsley in the next few weeks. You've also got Bristol Rovers, which is a West Country. How far away are Plymouth and Bristol? Uh, about 120, 110. Yeah. So I don't really know, but yeah, that is considered to be a bit of a derby game. Um, in the, you know, it's a, it's one of our nearest away games, if not our nearest away game, actually, isn't it now? Because Exeter yes. are not in the, the same division. No, um, and hopefully Plymouth will stay in League One quite a bit. My friend Paul went to university in Plymouth. Um, right. I, I'd expect he would have gone to Home Park, the Theatre of Greens. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I just read. I also, I love the fact that you don't have a number 12 shirt. Retired the number 12. That's the Green Army, isn't it? Yeah. And how how big are the Green Army? How many? Uh, well, we we can take we can take fifteen hundred fans to an away game. Yeah, quite an impressive away crowd. I think the only team lower division lower league team with more is Portsmouth. I think they they have got a huge travelling fan base. But yeah, the, the the Green Army are impressive. Although I uh, well I'll get I'll get slaughtered for saying this. I mean they can take the turn quite quickly if uh, if things aren't going well. But, uh, yeah, they certainly uh, come through with the goods. And I do think they make a difference in pretty much the similar way that the crowd at Anfield makes a difference. Yeah. And not there. It's, you know, you can see that they've lost something, haven't they? Yeah, the crowd gets you points. It is, it's incredible. And I imagine that um, the Green Army feature in Barnet Away, which is the book what you wrote about yeah. following Plymouth. Uh, yeah. is, was there a model for... In style, because there are football books, notably by Gary Nelson, an ex-pilgrim who made yeah. the Plymouth team of the century. Uh, and I've, I've got in touch with him and I hope to get him on. So I will send your regards if you yeah. send them on. I forgot all about Gary Nelson. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so um, the book, there is no model. It's a, it's a one-off. It's a, uh, not, no plan involved whatsoever. It just emerged it's basically about the couple of, a couple of seasons when Derek Adams was the manager and we did very, very, very well and it ended up in promotion to League One. Yeah. Interestingly, I think after the book, the wheels came off and, um, and Derek Adams had a terrible time and ended up sacked, I guess you'd say. Which is always but, a shame and we've seen that just this week with Chris Wilder. Five years of glory and then the first time you get a... Downward yeah. trend on yeah. the football curve, bang! Because you want to reverse that downward trend because you see which direction of travel it's going. Uh, Derek Adams must come off very well in your book. In that case, well, he does because he was great while he was good, but there was something wrong because I've I've done a little bit of research afterwards, and you know you could tell something wasn't right. It wasn't just that he was going through a bad run. It, there was the the whole vibe of the place changed dramatically and the the relationship i i don't know i've got the details so it's speculation but something went wrong between it in the 
you know, between the management and the players. And once that happens, it's really, you could see it, he didn't have any hope of getting it back. And I think it was the correct decision. I was disappointed when they asked him to go, but I think it was the correct decision. It, it all got very dour and, and just felt like, uh, something's got to change here. We can't go on with this. So, uh, uh, so it was the correct decision, I think, in that case. Was it but, a, yeah, was it a it, big dressing room? Were there some large characters in it? Uh, I, I wouldn't say no, no, I don't think so. Uh, uh, I just, it was just really strange how it happened. He just kind of went on the loop. He is, he's very, Derek Adams is very famous for taking Ross County on the longest unbeaten run in, in professional football. And, uh, he did, he did it twice with Ross County. Um, huge long runs, uh, without losing a game. And then he did it again at Plymouth. You know, it was, it was astonishing. And I just thought this guy is really good, and the, you know, I, I it, even to the point where I thought, well, someone's going to come in for him soon, because you know he could, he could do, and he played good football. It was nice. It was good to watch, and, and then it just all came unstuck. And I, 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 I don't actually know the total reasons, but it was almost like it, he was a different person. You know, he became really dour and negative, and I don't know. I. I, I aware of talking about it because I don't know enough of the facts really. Well the, the BBC source I've got up here said that Adams refused to speak to the media after the game at Accrington which left them fourth from bottom. Paul Watton was the assistant um, yeah. and it seems something to do with media obligations. Media yeah. failure says hold the front page.co.uk Argyle.life the fall of Derek Adams. Um, yeah. I think so. I think you're right. I think it, it, it almost looked like a kind of psychological problem. Oh, it could have been, yeah. You know, but I don't know. So, uh, I mean, I've talked to a few people about it since because I've, I've got, I, I do know a few people involved in Argyle and that, but everyone's very wary, and I don't blame them. You know, it's, it, but I think he's doing okay. He went on to manage Morecambe, and he's still there. I don't know. They're in League Two, aren't they? I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do hope to talk to a Morecambe fan as I try to read the 92. Indeed, I am grateful I can tick off Plymouth Argyle. Did you see Craig Cathcart play for Plymouth? He was the young player of the season 2009 while on loan from Manchester United, either about to go on loan to Watford or have a horrible injury. No, sorry about that. I didn't. I I had a... There was a time when uh, after... My two sons that were Argyle supporters, that we all used to go to the game together. It was very much a family thing. And um, when they left home, then because I was no great fan of the uh, mm, yeah. football style, really, I, I stopped going then until, actually, until Derek Adams took over. And then I started going again. Um, Argyle went through some horrendous uh, difficulties around 2009, 2010, and they were, they were in, in danger of going out of business at one point. Uh, I don't know if you know this, this is an interesting fact about, uh, about uh, Plymouth Argyle. In 2011, Peter Ridsdale bought Plymouth Argyle for a pound. Uh, I don't, do, you, do you remember Peter Ridsdale? Uh, I think he's at Cardiff now, having no, fixed... Or... He, he might be. He, he was big behind Leeds United, wasn't yes. he? Yes. Took them to the top of the Premiership and then bankrupted them. Yeah, sort of dying thing. swan, Leeds United. They were so graceful and then 
Oh dear. And no one has learned from it. Although... In it, to his credit, what he did do was he, he bought our goal for a pound, but he set them up uh, with a new owner, uh, James Brent, who who really established Argyle as a sound business model. And, and it's from there that we've gone from strength to strength. Um, and uh, we've now, we're now owned by another guy who's a really sound guy, Simon Hallett. Things are looking good for Argyle. I mean, we're not getting good results at the moment on the pitch, which is a shame because we, we're playing really good football, but we just not quite got something quite right just yet. Uh, but I, I have big faith in the manager, uh, Ryan Lowe, I, I like the guy. I've met him. He's a nice guy and he's very sharp. And I do think he's going to sort things out. No worries about that. I hope so too. Uh, Preston, it's not Cardiff. It's it's Preston, who is uh, the yeah, beneficiary of um, the wisdom of Ridsdale. 